As you're taking your seat, if you'd take your copy of God's Word and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Ecclesiastes 12 verses 9 through 14. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 9 through 14, Lord willing, next week we'll look at Isaiah chapter 1, start a series there, but uh, for this week, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes, we're going to talk about, amongst other things, glorifying God and making disciples. It's been two weeks since I've preached, so I'm ready to go, I hope you are too. Hear now God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord stands forever. Pray with me. O Heavenly Father, we need Your collected sayings. We need Your wisdom. We need Your truth to penetrate our hearts, our minds, And we ask you to do it now. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon began as a journey. You can tell me what it became when it's done. I wanted to find a way to reinforce the mission statement of Forest Gate, specifically that part that says, glorify God and make disciples. And I'm convinced, our elders are convinced, that these are the two most important things our church should be doing, individually, collectively, in whatever we do. In being stretched thin, having life turned upside down, that's only made that even more clear. So I said, let me find a text that says, in a word, glorify God and make disciples. For months I kept coming back here to the end of Ecclesiastes, the end of the matter, I said, I'll read this passage, talk about verse 13 briefly, then I'll start talking about glorifying God and making disciples. Along the way, Ecclesiastes 12, or maybe it was my conscience, kept telling me, if you only focus on verse 13, you're going to miss something important. God's people will be deprived of the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. They'll be malnourished spiritually. Glorifying God, making disciples, we'll get there. First, we need to hear a word from the preacher, Koheleth in Hebrew, the author of Ecclesiastes. Why why do we need to hear from him? Because he was searching for meaning and purpose in this life, this life that is lived under the sun. He searched high and low. For a long time, he was restless. That's what leads to our first point this morning. Number one, the dead end. Meaningless and vanity under the sun. Meaninglessness and vanity under the sun. If you're looking at the outline in the bulletin, yes, that's not a typo. Our first point is about the entire book of Ecclesiastes. It's a weird book. It starts out, chapter 1, verse 2, by saying, Meaninglessness. All is meaningless. 
You might also translate that word vanity, like the ESV does, or mist, or vapor, or something fleeting. Or maybe you could just quote classic rock, the band Kansas, all we are is dust in the wind. What is the preacher doing here? What kind of sermon is this that he's giving us? Well, he's using the, the semi-Socratic method. He's asking or at least inviting questions. Questions that he doesn't immediately give you the answer to. And, and yes, this is the inspired Word of God. That might suggest, I think it does, that sometimes God wants us to wrestle with hard questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Where am I headed? Or you might say, what happens when I die? Speaking of who am I, who was Koheleth? Most Bibles translate that phrase as the preacher. In Ecclesiastes 1.1, the son of David, it says, the king in Israel. Best guess, we're talking about Solomon. Solomon was the king, David's son, his immediate successor. Solomon certainly indulged himself in all pleasures, as chapter 2 says, wine, concubines, servants, more. Ecclesiastes 2.10 says, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. But as he says a few verses later, this too was meaninglessness, vanity, like chasing after the wind. You too saying a few years ago, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Amen, says the preacher. He found no meaning, no purpose. So sometimes you read this book and you think you're taking crazy pills. You can't believe that this stuff is in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 15. In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. What? You see, the, the, the preacher, if I can skip some of the suspense for you, the preacher is trying to tell us that when we look, when we simply look at this life under the sun, one of his favorite phrases, we won't be able to make sense of it. When we look at the here and now, the eminent frame, as one philosopher calls it, we will not be able to make sense of the here and now. Under the sun. Under the sun, it seems like the outcome of life is sometimes random, sometimes unfair, like wicked people prosper and good people don't. It's also how Psalm 73 starts out. But it's not how Psalm 73 ends. It's not how Ecclesiastes ends. But before the end, the preacher says that he's explored the Every possible meaning of life, and most of them have come up empty. Things like education, pleasure, including sexual pleasure, work, success, and more. And all of those things led him to the same conclusion. Vanity, meaningless, chasing after the wind. Sinclair Ferguson calls the preacher the pundit. And in his book, The Pundit's Folly, he writes this, Life is sick. We are sick. This is the pundit's message. Painful and embarrassing though it may be, you need to vomit out of your soul everything that is destroying your life and will eventually lead you to an endless emptiness. But there are hints 
in this meaningless journey that maybe, just maybe, he did find what he was looking for after he, you know, vomited a few times. Hints, hints like this, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has put eternity into man's hearts. This is chapter 7, verse 29, God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. In other words, maybe we are the problem. Maybe the preacher's search was doomed because it stayed under the sun. Maybe the preacher's search was doomed because he and all of us, like sheep who have gone astray, all of us have forgotten our Creator who's beyond the sun. That leads to our second point. After the dead end, we see secondly man's chief end. Finding meaning and purpose beyond the sun. Man's chief end. Finding meaning and purpose beyond the sun. We look now at the verses we read. Once upon a time, the English parliament asked a bunch of pastors, also known as divines, to sequester themselves, maybe even quarantine themselves, and solve some theological controversies. One of their best writings begins like this. What is man's chief end, his chief goal or purpose in this life? Answer, man's chief end, as some of you know, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Makes you wonder if they read the words of the preacher, chapter 12, verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And remember, the preacher, he was a worldly man. Oh, he read widely, sampled things. He stayed open-minded to his own detriments. You see hints of that in verses 11 and 12, as well as the rest of this book. Verses 11 and 12, the words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. <clears throat> My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. In much study, which he had done, is a weariness of the flesh. Sometimes God wants us to ask questions, yes. But sometimes he wants us to stop asking questions and listen to his answers that he's already given. In these last days, God has spoken by his son, by the word of God. Now, what if we have the answers? We don't like the answers. Derek Kidner writes, The God afar off is equally the God at hand who knows and can be known, who speaks to us through man's voice and with finality. Curiously enough, this may not suit us. We grow addicted to research itself in love with our hard questions an answer would spoil everything. He goes on to quote from C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce and says, There was a time when you asked questions because you wanted answers and were glad when you had found them. Become that child again, even now. Become the child who is satisfied to know the Bible tells me so. The Bible which is written by the sovereign, all-wise creator of the universe, the all-wise God who stoops down to me, who baby talks so I can understand. I had a mentor who was nearing retirement who said something like this. 
Pastors go liberal or go off the deep end in some other way when they get bored with the Bible. I'm glad, he said, I never got bored with the Bible. Simple answers are not always bad answers. The preacher that had tried everything and cried out meaninglessness, he eventually found what he was looking for. In the words of St. Augustine, you made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. When you find the God who rescues us from meaninglessness, or I should say, when he finds you, when you're found in Christ and rescued from your sin and misery, how can you ever get bored of him? How can you ever get tired of knowing and fearing him? How can you get tired of his commandments, his instruction, his pathway to avoid sin and misery. How can you get bored of this God who rescued us, who restores us to our original purpose, who allows us once again to display His beauty and order and pleasure and strength and majesty as His image bearers, His vice regents of creation. The preacher got bored with Sin City, but not with God. The one who's larger than life, greater than self, lasting forever. He tried everything else and then he said, the end of the matter is this. Fear God. Keep His commandments. Let's tease out that first idea. That's going to lead to our third point. Number three, man's chief end, fearing and glorifying God. Fear. Probably doesn't sound fun this morning, does it? Well, Not unless you understand the Bible's nuanced idea of this word. This is not terror that makes you run from God. It's awe that draws you close because our God is an awesome God, the one who draws us near by His holy, breathtaking character. This God who is so good, so exalted, and yet He wants to dwell with scum like me and us wants to rescue us from the misery that our wisdom has created for us, wants to return us to His plan, His paths, His design, His purpose. And the only way to do that, the only way to get there is to fear Him. Again, not terror that drives away, but awe that draws you close. A childlike fear, the, quote, reverential love which a child has for his or her father. Now some may not know that type of love for their father, but my guess is you want it because you've seen it in a friend, friend's family. You know it even if it wasn't your experience. You want it even if it wasn't your experience. Don't be afraid to fear God. Several months ago, the uh, session met for a retreat. We clarified goals, priorities, challenges. We also spent a lot of time talking about our purpose as a church, our mission. Now, we didn't read Ecclesiastes, but we talked about our mission statement. Specifically, the first part, glorifying God and making disciples. And one of our elders kept coming back to this thought. Are we confident? That all of us, all of our people, our congregation, understand what those words mean. Glorifying God. Making disciples. So he did a word study on his own. He said, regardless of what we do after this, I want to understand this better. And then he 
shared it with all of us afterwards. When I prepared this sermon, I copied some of his homework. What's it mean to glorify God? He researched that, wrote several pages. I tried to summarize it over the past few months. The first thing I wrote down is this, fearing God. What does that look like? It's awe leading to obedience and reliance on God. It's borrowed from a longer theological book. Psalm 130 says, With you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. When I see the amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, I have no choice but awe, wonder. It makes my heart trust this God, rely on this God, obey this God by following His commands. When I was copying that homework, I wrote down more. Glorifying God, it means fearing God in our hearts, praising, God, uh, praising and thanking God in prayer and praise, and honoring God in our actions. I wrote down a bit more under those last two headings. Praising and thanking God in prayer and praise, it looks like praising Him for who He is, Thanking Him for what He does, such as His attributes, His benefits, including salvation, His miracles, His providence, His promises. I also wrote down that honoring God in our actions, it looks like this. It looks like stewardship of His gifts, Sabbath rest and worship, building and keeping a beautiful place of worship, maintaining our physical fitness and chastity because our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It also looks like obedience, the fruit of the Spirit, good works, evangelism, suffering for His name's sake. Looks like all of that. Now, I had some scripture references that I wanted to share, but the preacher kept calling my name, asking me to tell the story behind fear God and keep His commandments, the journey that brought Him to that point. If the preacher, the author of Ecclesiastes, were here, I think he'd say this. I'm not saying be a good person or a godly person so that God will love you. I'm saying that I tried everything else and it left me empty, even emptier than Naomi. And I realized that this was the whole of man. Oh, oh yes, that's right, the word duty. It's not in my Hebrew manuscript. That's not a bad translation, of course. But you could also say, this is all that there is to man. Knowing the Creator and responding appropriately in fear, in awe that leads to obedience. That's all there is. This is it. If you skip that step, the pieces won't fit together. Even if you call the IKEA helpline. If you want to find ultimate reality, you want to find true reality, if you want to find yourself, you have to look here. You have to look to your Creator. It's the end of the matter, isn't it? This is our chief end. Glorifying God. Enjoying Him forever. Enjoying the one you fear. Oh, that may sound crazy. But you haven't lived until you've tried it. And after you try it, nothing else will compare. Everything else will just be vanity, meaningless. But there's a bit more to say about fearing God. That leads to our fourth and final point, man's chief end, keeping his commandments. Keeping his commandments to make disciples. 
Fear God and keep His commandments. That's what the preacher says to us. Fearing God, it's part of glorifying God. That will lead to awe and obedience and trust. Fear leads to obedience. It leads to keeping His commandments. Because proper fear comes when we see the fullness of God's character. The majesty of His holiness. The huge gap between Him and me. And the deep, deep love of Jesus that closes the gap that wraps me up, holds me fast, promises to never let me go. If you understand amazing love like this, then of course you're going to want to listen to His voice. You'll want to do what He says out of fear, out of respect, out of love, out of duty that really feels like delight. Now, of course, verse 14 might scare some of us off. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Is that scary in a bad way? Then listen to Derek Kidner, who's even more quotable than Ecclesiastes. He says, It kills complacency to know that nothing goes unnoticed and unassessed, not even the things that we disguise from ourselves, but at the same time, it transforms life. If God cares as much as this, nothing can be pointless. Nothing. It all has meaning. It all has purpose. Who am I? Why am I here? I'm God's child. I'm loved in Christ no matter what. No matter what I've done. If I'm in Christ and I've trusted in Christ, even if I've wandered to the far country and partied with Charlie Sheen and Hugh Hefner, Christ Jesus came to save sinners who trust in Him. Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And now He wants me to keep His commandments, to walk in His ways, to imitate Him by the power of His Holy Spirit who dwells in me. God somehow thinks I, little old me, I can Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How can he think that? Well, because of the final words of Matthew that I just omitted. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God actually thinks we can do this. Isn't that kind of amazing? You know those notes I took when I was copying someone else's homework? Under make disciples, I wrote down a few things. The first one might be my own, I'm not sure. But one, this is a twofold command. To make new disciples, that whole evangelism thing. And second, to strengthen existing disciples. Now I'm sure you would agree, yep, agree with both of those things. My question is, which one of those two are you more likely to ignore, overlook, dismiss. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course. But what about which one you likely to dismiss? I also wrote down what is a disciple, and I have three umbrella categories for that. One, a disciple is a follower and imitator of Christ. Second, a disciple is a man or a woman of certain priorities and practices. Third, a disciple is a future-focused disciple-maker. And yes, I think I can support that from Scripture, but my mental clock says some attention spans are winding down. I wrote, I copied, I summarized more about those priorities and practices. 
a disciple believes that they must. That's what I mean by these priorities and practices. Things you think you must do like these. Worship and serve God. Serve God in a local church. Grow in godly character. Know and use their gifts. I wrote down including every gift. Like the ability to pick up chairs, as my old college minister used to say. Whenever Tim Simpson had somebody come to him and say, I want to serve, I want to lead. He would say, okay, can you pick up chairs when Bible study is over? I really need somebody to do that. Disciple also wants to trust God's promises, pray regularly, study the Word, develop a biblical worldview. I think that's a phrase many of us know. If it's unfamiliar to you, I'm happy to talk about it later. He also wants to testify of God's goodness to him or her in the gospel. He wants to finish well. And then that next category, I don't have a lot to add here. A disciple is a future-focused disciple-maker. Future-focused. Someone who desires kingdom multiplication, not just addition. But at the same time, they know that the path to multiplication is slow. Over time, one at a time, one-on-one that yields fruit in its season And they are able not just to share the gospel, but to build someone up in the gospel until the day when that disciple can make a disciple by God's grace and make that disciple into a disciple maker themselves. And I would say if we really want to fear God and keep His commandments, we'll want to glorify God and make disciples. If we really want to glorify God and make disciples, then everything in all of these lists, we will think that it's worthy of our blood, our sweat, and our tears, worthy of our time, our talents, our heart. But even though this sermon is getting long, we need to clarify. The point of this sermon is not to give you a massive to-do list. Did you hear me? The point of the sermon is not to give you a massive to-do list. I do not want you to attempt all of these things by tomorrow. You know, those of you, you know who you are, who's wired like that. I do not want you to despair because you can't get them all done by Tuesday. But maybe you should ask yourself a few questions. Are you at any one time doing one of these things? In, In the church or in another part of your daily and weekly life? Maybe you want to ask yourself, what's one thing I can do and improve upon personally or in service to others? Do I need to eliminate something else, a hobby, a time waster, in order to be able to accomplish number two? And even more than that, I want you to ask yourself why you should want to do any of this, fearing God and keeping His commandments, glorifying God and making disciples. Because all of the other things that you might want to do, all of the other masters that you might want to serve, all of the other loves and lovers that you might want to pursue, a preacher tried them. He says they were vanity, chasing the wind, unachievable, didn't last. Meaningless. Empty. After he got bored with the world, he came back to this. Verse 13, The end of the matter all has been heard. 
Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is all there is. To quote Vince Lombardi, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. The pursuit of excellence was what drove him. This is it. (laughs) This is our everything. This is what we are meant to do, to glorify God, to know God, to know Him more, to know this fear that you somehow can't get enough of. To keep His commandments, to know that His commandments are not burdensome because He died for commandment breakers like us. To know that His commandments reveal Him, His character, His love for me and you, His order, His beauty, His justice. And they make me want to be like Him. To be a disciple, an imitator of Jesus. Someone who wants to be a better version of me. A version that looks more like Jesus and less like myself. Because at the end of the day, I will not find myself by looking inside myself. I will find myself. What God meant for me to be. What He created me to be. When I look at Him, the fount of life, the light of men, from the best bliss that earth imparts, We turn unfilled to Thee again. Turn to our Creator. You see, life under the sun can be kind of depressing. So look beyond the sun to the Maker of the sun, to the One who made heaven and earth, to the One who made you. Because getting to know Him, it's a big task. One that will keep you busy. One that will keep you motivated. One that will keep you searching in a good way. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, if we have not found what we're looking for, then Father, find us. Find us now. Father, if we have found it and lost it, bring us back. Draw us to yourself. Give us clarity. Give us wisdom. Show us purpose and meaning. And show us your grace. Show us your grace for those who have fallen short and far worse, those who have rebelled like us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.